Well, that was, uh, that was quite a moment, wasn't it? That was uh, uh, Lauren Diaz, who is on The Voice right now, uh, Alicia Keys' team. So I know who I'm going to be voting for. That was, that was awesome. So grateful for this team that puts together great music every weekend. And uh, so grateful to get to be here with you guys this weekend. It's always a thrill for me to come back. My name is Mike, and I get to come from time to time to, uh, to teach here and really Really grateful for our, our friendship and grateful for getting to come back. I'm really, really excited uh, that this is, this is not only the 16th anniversary, I think it's the 16th birthday of uh, the crossing today, which is really cool. So, man, you guys get your driver's license and everything. It's, 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 it zits too. So, um, I'm really excited about getting to come back in a couple of weeks because we're going we're gonna to throw this party for guys. On October 14th and 15th, I get the privilege of getting to speak at it. It's going to be an awesome event for guys. It's a Friday night and Saturday morning event. It is going to be a blast. We're going to learn a bunch of great stuff together about becoming just better men and better husbands and dads and sons and friends. And uh, man, it's, it's, they got all kinds of activities happening. It's going to be a lot of fun stuff. Plus, I just heard that this, this uh, place called Roadkill Grill is going to, going to cater the whole thing. So it's like amazing barbecue. So guys, go out there and sign up today. Show up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a great, great weekend. And I feel honored I get to come back and do that. But last weekend, Sean, Shane, Sean Shane, I've known Shane for years. I call him Sean. Uh, Shane uh, launched this series called Trans- Transform. And it's an experience that we're going through for eight weeks together where we're allowing God to change us, not only individually, but also to do that in, in groups, because there's real power in linking arms with other people and going through stuff together. Right now, we've got 250 groups meeting all over the valley, 2,200 people uh, that are meeting in the valley all, uh, during the week, and it's not too late for you to jump in. You can go out in the lobby today and say, I want to get in a group. Uh, you can pick up a book as well, the Transform book, and those of you that already have this book, let you know we're launching it this week uh, when it says your devotional readings in there. Day one would be today. So you can just start that today, and I think it's going to be a great, great uh, journey that honestly could change everything about your life. Now, I know you might be a little skeptical about that kind of claim, right? Because lots of things get overhyped, and they often, you know, overpromise and underdeliver. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that claim to change everything, right? From skincare products to the new Quesalupa at Taco Bell, the Apple Watch, this changes everything. Tagless underwear, well, that did change everything. That was that's awesome. <laughs> but do you remember how Y2K was going to change everything, going to redefine the whole world? How the XFL was going to redefine football? I mean, all kinds of stuff from that spray-on hair to cover bald spots to Dippin' Dots, the future of ice cream, to waterbeds, to sleep number beds, to farmersonly.com. So many things claiming this changes everything. And I'm guessing you might have your own list. Maybe it's like, if I could just get married, it would change everything. If I could just get that new car, that new house, it would change everything. If I could just have that new baby, another baby, if those babies would finally move out, it would change everything. (laughs) If I could just take that vacation, if I could just lose that last 10 pounds, if I could work that workout plan, if I could just find another job, if I could just hit the Powerball, it would change everything. Well, there's a guy named Solomon 
in the pages of the Bible. He wrote a huge chunk called the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament Bible, and also is included his personal journal of his own life called Ecclesiastes. Now, if you haven't heard of Solomon before, he's the richest guy who ever lived. He was super powerful, super wealthy, and he chased after and got into like everything. In his own words, he said, I denied myself no pleasure. Whatever he wanted, he got it. I mean, the guy never looked at a price tag in his entire life. He didn't have to. Whatever he wanted, he got. He went for it all thinking, maybe this, maybe this changes everything. No, maybe, maybe it's this that changes everything. Man, oh, well, maybe it's this that changes everything. And it just left him totally frustrated, which led him to write these words. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. He experienced what you and I experience. All those life-changing things just leave us reaching for the next thing that promises to be life-changing. So like him, many of us in our emptiness, many of us in our frustration, we finally decide, well, you know, maybe it's God. I've got a friend that's kind of been talking to me about that, saying maybe that's the empty spot in my life. Maybe, maybe I am missing that whole God piece in my life. So maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll give him a shot. And so we start out on like a faith journey. And soon we find ourselves standing at a crossroad. I read a, a book by an author named John Lynch several years ago that uh, articulated this illustration. And, I, and when I read it, I thought, man, that's my story. That's my personal journey with God. You kind of come to this crossroad and say, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go down this road of, uh, of, of spiritual dimension to my life. And you come to the crossroad, and there's two signs, one that's pointing down this way saying, trusting God, and another saying, pleasing God. So you stand at this crossroad and go, man, trusting God, like, what is that? I mean, come on, trusting God. It sounds a bit ethereal, a bit vague, right? I mean, what, what do you do in trusting God? And I don't really understand God's character because nobody's really told me ever about God's love. But I have heard that I really ought to follow his commands. So I look at the two signs. I think trusting God, pleasing God. You know what? I, I'm a doer. I'm, I'm, I'm an ambitious kind of driven guy. Maybe I'll just go down this road of pleasing God. Maybe, maybe I can do that. I'll just give that a shot. In fact, maybe the reason my life is so screwed up is because God's like punishing me for all these years of not pleasing him. So yeah, I don't know what this one means. So I'm just going to head down the pleasing God road. Maybe if I do better, then my life will be better. Maybe if I please him enough, I'll get on his good side. Maybe if I'll stop ticking him off, things will start changing. And who knows, I might even earn a spot in heaven. So I take off down this road of pleasing God. And on my way, I'm, I'm kind of comforted by the fact that the path is well-worn. I mean, obviously, a lot of people have come up and down th this path. And as I walk, I, I, I see this huge, impressive-looking building in the distance. 
As I get closer, I can see that there's this bearing this sign across the front that says, be all that God expects you to be. And I think, yeah, yeah, I can do this. I'm a hard worker. I will rise up and finally meet all of God's expectations for me. I will try super hard to please God, and maybe, just maybe, that will change everything. So I walk up to that huge door, and I see a little sign above the doorknob that says self-effort. And I think, well, I can do that because I am pretty strong, and I turn the doorknob easily. And I walk into this enormous room with grand architecture and stained glass and marble and full of lots and lots of beautiful people. Well, a friendly hostess meets me there inside the door, and she says, welcome to the Cathedral of Good Intentions. And I think, well, that sounds good because I want to be seen as somebody that's got like good intentions. And I start thinking, you know what, this just might be the place I'm looking for. And I turn to her and I say, great, thank you. How, how are you doing? Before she answers, the hostess reaches in her purse and she pulls out a mask and she puts it up and says, I'm fine. Just fine. And how are you? Well, the entire room grows silent waiting for my response. And I say, well, honestly, I'm kind of screwed up. I've been struggling with some stuff. I feel pretty empty. I got some questions about life. I got a bunch of questions about God. I'm really frustrated. I'm not who I really want to be. I wrestle with envy and with anger. And, with, and she cuts me off and puts, puts her finger to my lips. And she hands me a similar mask. And I look around and see that like everybody is now wearing one. And since I've, I want to be like accepted... I start thinking, dude, you better play this cool and don't be so real. Don't be so vulnerable here. So I bring my mask to my face and I say, well, yeah, I, what I meant to say was I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just fine. And with that, everyone turns back to the conversations they're having. Well, I start walking around the room and I notice there are like rules posted everywhere. All kinds of lists of things that are saying, do this and God might be pleased big banner that says, behavior modification will set you free. And warning signs at every turn saying, this room is under constant divine surveillance. Don't screw up. Well, I think, well, maybe that's just the way it is, you know. I mean, these people seem to be happy. At least that's what, you know, their masks portray. They seem to be sold out to doing things the right way. Maybe they are discovering that striving to please God, or at least keeping God from becoming displeased with you, that's what brings deep soul satisfaction. Maybe it is keeping all the rules and doing all the rituals that changes everything. I at least ought to give this a shot, so I do. But as days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, I can't help but notice how many people in this room, they aren't happy at all. They even sound a bit cynical, a bit jaded. There's very little joy and a whole lot of judgment. And when they do slip up and let their mask down, I can see traces of pain and hopelessness and loneliness and the same kind of emptiness that I had that started me on this search in the first place. And I try really, really hard in that room, but the stifling atmosphere of it and the tightness of wearing a mask starts to make it hard for me to even breathe. And I'm tired of keeping up appearances. I'm tired of faking it every day. 
and feeling now emptier than I ever felt before, I just make a run for the door, and I promise I will never, ever set foot in that place ever again. And I'm just guessing some of you have been there. So I retrace my steps, and I end up right back where I started, at this crossroad. And I look at that sign again, trusting God. What in the world is that? Trusting God. Maybe there's a third road, like a combo road or something. But no, just one other option, just an option that says, trust God. And I'm thinking, well, what do I have to do? But like, trust God. But I take off walking down this road. And as I walk, every step, I can hear those voices from the Cathedral of Good Intentions saying, come on, man, you got to stop this. you got to stop that. Just read more, pray more, be holy, be holier. Keep in line. Keep all the rules. And who knows, maybe as I walk down this pathway of trusting God, I notice that it's not nearly as worn as the other one. And I'm thinking, if this isn't the right road, If this doesn't take me where I want my life to go, I'm done with this God search thing. But I got no other game plan, so I keep walking. I know I don't want to go back to where I started, and I know I don't want to go back to that mask-wearing place. So I just put one foot in front of the other and and keep walking until I come to another building. It's less impressive looking. It's kind of plain, kind of simple, but there's a There's a welcome mat at the front door with some pretty flowers next to it and a little sign above the doorknob of this door that says, humility. I stare at that doorknob for a long time. A long time. And I think, that's it, isn't it? I have tried so hard to be strong. I've applied all the self-effort and all the willpower. It's just left me frustrated. It's left me insecure. I have run out of ability. I've run out of answers. So I just cried, okay, God, if you are real, if anything good is to come out of this whole deal, then you are going to have to do it. Because I've tried. I have searched. I'm tired. I'm empty. I can't keep doing this anymore. You got to help me. With those raw and honest words, I turn the doorknob of humility and I walk inside. As soon as I step inside, another hostess approaches me. She's got a pretty smile and a friendly voice, and she says, Welcome to the room of grace. And I say, Well, thanks. She says, How you doing? Well, I've been there before, right? I'm not going to get duped into that again. So I dig out the old mask out of my backpack and I respond, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm just, just, just fine. And everybody in the room gets real quiet and all eyes are on me. Being gung shy from, from the last room, I start to interpret their stares as judgment on me. So I just take my mask and I throw it down. I say, you know what? I'm not fine. I haven't been fine for like a long time. I'm tired. I'm guilty. I'm lonely. 
I'm filled with regret. I got a mountain of shame. I got a boatload of guilt. I can't make my life work. I struggle with envy and lust and anger and bitterness. I mean, if you knew half of my daily thoughts, you would kick me out of your little self-righteous club. I am not fine. And I turn and I walk toward the door. And I hear a voice from the back of the room that says, that all you got? All right, I see your bad thoughts, your guilt, your envy, and I'll raise you compulsive drinking, jail time, and bankruptcy. You better have more than that on your puny little list if you want to play in our league. And I turn back around, I see everybody smiling. And the hostess leans over and says, I think he means you're welcome here. And that guy in the back of the room walks through the crowd and he bear hugs me. And I am welcomed into this family of kind, patient people who are experiencing this amazing transformational thing called grace. And I look around the room, there's not a mask to be found anywhere. And I see no endless list of rules posted on the wall, no creepy surveillance signs. Just a few signs that say things like, come as you are. Grace happens. No perfect people allowed. And you matter to God. At the front of the room, there's a big banner that reads, the room of grace is a me too place. Let's work on our lives together. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I see plastered all around the room, like scripture passages, like Ephesians chapter 2, which says, but God, who was so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. I see another poster of Romans 5 that just says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I see another one from Titus chapter 3 posted on the wall. It says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And I turn to my left and I see a, a verse about pleasing God. It says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And I realize in that moment that pleasing God, what pleases God is when someone humbly trusts God to do what only he can do, to take away sin and shame to give them a fresh start, to give them a clean slate, to give them hope and freedom and joy and life, to radically transform a human heart from the inside out and give the gift of eternal life. And I think to myself, oh man, this changes everything. So welcome to the room of grace where no perfect people are allowed. A place called the crossing where we believe the search for life the search for meaning, the search for deep satisfaction stops right in front of the God of unfailing love. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, 
who gives grace to anyone who humbly seeks after him. I'm talking about the God who laid down his life on a cross, the one who took the rap for our sins so that we could incredibly walk declared not guilty. Talking about the God, the eternal God who rose from the dead so that you and I could live forever. That God, the one true and living God, extends life and hope to anyone who is willing to surrender to his love and to his leadership. Trusting God is the beginning of an amazing transformation. And gang, I'm telling you from personal experience, from a guy who's been down both roads, I'm telling you, this is not one of those things that overpromises and underdelivers. Trusting God really does change everything. Now, life may still come at us hard because we live in a broken world. Our circumstances may not dramatically change, but we will. If we let him, God will transform us into people who will then shine like bright lights in this dark world. Because I'm telling you, when you start trusting God, when you get to know God, when you are gratefully captivated by his love for you, when you draw close to him throughout the day, when you live in the awareness of his presence and his power in your life, transformation starts to happen. Like Shane said last weekend, we can't do it without him. But he won't do it without us either. I was talking to a really close friend this week, one of the most transformed guys I've ever known in my life. Uh, he, he'd been into everything, and right now he's three years clean and sober from drugs and alcohol. He's three years clean from a sexual addiction, a totally different guy. And when we, we started talking about God's power that's living on the inside of him, and he started just saying stuff like that. Man, it's so, you got to tell people, man, when, when you begin to cooperate with God like daily, by doing your part of, of renewing your mind and handing over junk like shame and bitterness and you let him touch you deeply in places where you've been hurt and you start making amends to other people that you have hurt through the years. He goes, bro, I'm telling you when, you, when you start getting real and vulnerable and you take off your mask and you sit down with some other imperfect people who are on the same journey of transformation as you are, when you link arms together in honest, loving community, when you start diving into his words and learning truth and re-wallpapering your mind with new principles to live by, when you start to allow his Holy Spirit to go to work on you, oh my goodness, it is such a transformational thing. You start to see your emptiness replaced by love. You start to see your cynicism replaced by joy. Your anxiety gets replaced by peace. Your panic gets replaced by patience. Your apathy gets replaced by kindness. Your harshness gets replaced by gentleness. Your selfishness gets replaced with goodness. Your deception gets replaced by faithfulness. Your out-of-control addicted behavior gets replaced with self-control, all because of God's grace and God's power from the inside out. We can finally start living this life with this hope, this hope that is real and energizing and life-changing. And the Bible calls this hope I'm talking about a hope that will not disappoint, not wishful thinking, but this concrete hope of eternal life and the grace to navigate this one. I'm talking about hope that is more than superstitious breath blowing out candles with lofty wishes. It cannot be defined by pipe dreams, grand aspirations, or put in a box of our human limitations. It is more. It is alive. It is real. It is here. Hope of a promise, what we hope for but cannot see. The light at the end of a tunnel of misery. The disaster response that wades through our debris when the floor becomes familiar to our knees. We have this hope set in our hearts for eternity. Hope that has no end. Hope in panic and pain and counting 
nine days clean, hope in confusion, temptation, and crippling disease, hope in waiting, wondering, stepping into the unknown, hope that whatever this life holds, he is still on the throne. Jesus is hope. Welcome to the room of grace. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, divinity stepped into humanity. The eternal God wrapped himself in flesh and he moved into our neighborhood. Jesus was born in a little place called Bethlehem of a virgin. He grew up to go through the same struggles that you and I grew up having struggles with. But he lived a perfect, sinless life. He worked as a carpenter until he was 30 years old. He started his ministry after he was baptized by his cousin named John. His teaching and his miracles were astounding. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He made sick people well. He made crooked legs straight. He made time for little kids. He stood up for the underdog. He embraced messy people, the outcasts, the losers of society, the forgotten, the ones wearing the label of imperfect person, notorious sinner. And the cool thing to me is the people who were least like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them. Well, the religious leaders who operated their own little cathedral of good intentions, they couldn't stand Jesus. They saw him as a big-time threat to their little rule-keeping, mask-wearing kingdom, couldn't handle the fact that a so-called holy man of God could extend grace to those kind of people. It went all the way through them that he would hang out with such undesirables, not realizing that God knows no undesirables. On several occasions, they would pull his disciples aside and say, why does your teacher eat with such scum? They were always labeling people. Always putting people into categories. But Jesus only put people into one category. Priceless. Including you and me. Well, that infuriated those in power, and they plotted for a long, long time to take him out. They finally bought off one of his closest followers, a guy named Judas, who leads them at night to a dark, secluded place where Jesus was praying, and they arrest him there. And they go through the mockery of a trial. He's humiliated. He's spit upon. He's, he's beaten within an inch of his life. And ultimately, they crucify him, nailing him to a cross. And he allowed them to do it. He allowed them to do it. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. That's how priceless we are. And on the cross, Jesus looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And with his final breath, he prayed, it is finished. And the word he used there was, it literally meant paid in full. I have paid the debt. Their sins have racked up. And they took him off the cross, and they put him in a borrowed tomb, which I've always loved, because why buy one when you're only going to need it for a few days? <laughs> well, two ladies were on their way to visit the tomb of Jesus. And I love the Gospel of Mark. I love its account. We don't read this enough. We read this like once a year on Easter. Gang, this is just as relevant in September. Check this out. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, well, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. 
Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Now, one of the reasons I love this account, and Mark especially, is because of that little phrase that said, go tell his disciples, including Peter. Make sure he especially knows. If you know anything about this guy named Peter, he hung out with Jesus for three years. He was a guy who tried to please God. He was a doer. He spent a lot of time in the room of good intentions going, I can do this, only to blow it big time and collapse in a pile of shame and disillusionment. So the word here is, make sure Peter knows. Make sure that major screw-up knows that there's a room called grace, that the cross and the empty tomb, it changes everything. And Peter would go on to encounter the resurrected Jesus. He would look into the eyes of grace and he would move through his world with passion and purpose for the rest of his days. Peter would become this radically transformed history maker. And later in his life, he wrote these words. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This changes everything. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you'll start to trust God, trust in his grace, if you would let it, like Lauren's saying, just wash over you, if you'd let him start leading your life, I mean really leading your life, he'll transform you. He will change you from the inside out. He does that when you choose to walk down the road of trusting God. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He transforms you and me into a new creation when we feel hopeless. He transforms you and me into a new creation when we're discouraged. He transforms you in a new creation when other people have given up on you. He transforms you into a new creation when you feel like a failure. He transforms you in a new creation when you can't forgive yourself. He transforms you into a new creation when you feel like everybody else wants to keep you down. He transforms you into a new creation when your health is failing, when your sanity is slipping, when your relational world is crumbling, when you surrender to his grace and his power, it changes everything. But you have to turn the doorknob of humility. And you get to humbly step into the room of grace and trust the one who died for your sin and rose from the dead to give you eternal life and life right here, right now. So I'll invite you just for a few moments. Why don't you just bow your head? Let's just kind of work through this a little bit. You know, I've as I said, I've, I've, I've been down both these roads. I chased religion a long time. Where it's all about what do you have to do to keep God from being ticked off at you. And that is such an empty life. So frustrating. When you humble yourself and walk down the road of trusting God and trusting what's been done for you. You find out God's interested in who you're becoming, how his love can transform your life. 
So I just want to encourage you today, even challenge you today, start this transformational journey. Make this the moment where you say, God, I'm turning that doorknob of humility. I want to trust you with my life. I accept your love, Jesus Christ, your forgiveness for my sin. I really want you to lead my life. I want to learn what it means to walk in the awareness of your presence in my life. So I'm going to invite you right now, if that's something that's on your heart, I believe God brought you here today for a reason. Maybe in this quiet moment, just, just pray in your own way because that's what God listens to, not some formula. Just say something like, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready. I've tried just like almost everything this life has to offer, and it's all just frustrating and empty. I know it's you. I know you are the perfect fit for my heart. And so today I want to start trusting you. Today I turn over the leadership of my life to you. I want to live forever, and I want to live right now. I want you to change me into a new creation. Now, if that's something that's just on your heart right now, if that's something you're kind of praying in your own way, just for my benefit so I can pray for you guys, would you just, as everybody's heads bowed, just, just slip your hand up to the air for a second. God said he's going to honor that. When you sincerely and humbly seek after him, he honors that. So grateful for you. and Father, I pray for these people who are humbly inviting you to lead their lives today. And I pray that this would be a great place to link arms with them and help them grow and be transformed. Thank you for what you do on the inside of us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.